Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Uncut Gems podcast. I'm Kevin Kadish. I'm Nathan Chapman. And this is not a podcast about hit songs. This is a podcast about songs that were never hits, that probably should have been, and the stories behind them. On this podcast, we'll be talking to some of the world's most well-known and unknown songwriters about their uncut gems. So if you ever wondered about all those songs that are written that you never get to hear, guess what? You get to hear them now on the Uncut Gems podcast. Today's guest is songwriter, guitar player extraordinaire, Clint Lagerberg. What's up, yes. everybody? What's happening, Lagerbergerus? A little bit of this and some of that. So basically nothing. Yes. 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 Sweet. I'm sitting here with you guys. You guys <laughs> might know Clint. No, you won't. If you ever read um, International Mail. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. International female. Um, oh. Um, Clint has written many, many songs for many, many people. He wrote uh, Here Comes Goodbye yeah. for Rascal Flats. And was that a number one? Yes. Hmm. Hmm. He also wrote Blue Ain't Your Color, but green is, bitches. Woo, woo. I, got, I got a little blue on tonight. He does have blue and green. That was a Keith Urban song, by the way, in case any of you have been living under a rock and don't watch the Grammys. Um, did you win Song of the Year or no? No. Oh. No. And everybody lies when they say... That they're it's happy about it. It's an honor. It's not true. Terrible to be nominated. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, it's, speaking as someone who has won every single time yes, he's been nominated. It's terrible to be No, I've been nominated and not won before. What? Yeah. Okay, but you've won three times. Well, I know what it feels like to win, and I know what it feels like <laughs> to not win. Well, I don't know what it feels like to win a Grammy, <laughs> so not winning feels like winning. The one time, not the one time, there's been a couple times I haven't won, but I remember specifically... Nominated for a Grammy, had everyone over to my house to watch the broadcast because we opted to not go to the yeah. show. Like everyone, this is before you knew me. I think. I think so. Yeah. Or didn't know you well enough to bring you over to the house. Or you didn't like me back then, which is fine too. Could be. Could be both possible. Um, so this was last year. So here comes my category. It's on TV. Then the winner is not me. And if you've ever seen people be like, well. I think it's time for me to go. <laughs> it was well, a mass exodus we at our house. Cleared out. <laughs> I think people just felt weird. There's like, Ooh, what do we do? How do you yeah. celebrate this? How do you celebrate not winning? <laughs> it's an Ooh, honor to be nominated by not drinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks. Oh, it was great having you. Having we'll see you later. All yep. right, no, great. No. Hope you got enough. Um, so Clint, <laughs> we can edit it. Clint okay. and I have known each other for a long time. I, I, actually, you guys have probably known each other longer than. Yes. I've known I Clint. So, yeah. I, I met Nathan almost day one because you were in the studio down the hall for me at... Yeah, the Warner Chapel B yeah. studio. That's I camped right. out there for the yeah. Taylor Swift Christmas album. That's right. I remember that. That's where I mixed that project. So I spent a good two or three weeks in there, you know, working on that. And you were down the hall. Yep. And then we had a mutual friend, Jason Walker. Yes, and Jason was like, you got to meet this guy who's down the hall. The and it was probably that. one in the morning in an empty office yeah. with cubicles in the dark. Yes. and At Warner Chapel Publishing? Yeah, the, the, um, the building across the street from Warner Brothers Records. Oh, yeah. Where the yeah, Warner yeah. Brothers Studio A is. Yep. And I had done the Nashville Star album in there and then went right from that into the Taylor Swift Christmas album. 
So I just stayed there and... What year was this Christmas album? 2007, maybe. I don't know. Wow. I feel like you were always in there. Like, pretty much every time I was there, you were there doing something. I worked 14, 15, 16 hours a day, every day. You did. During that era. I can't do that anymore, but I did then. So So that's when we met. And Jason Walker was our mutual friend. Yes, he was our... Singer-songwriter. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he was our Yentl. He introduced us. <laughs> what? You should know that. It's You're not Jewish. called a Yentl. It's called a Yenta. What, what, the Barbara is Streisand. Yentl is Barbara Streisand dressing up like a man when she's a woman. And that's her name in the movie. Oh, I always thought that meant. No, a Yenta <laughs> is someone who sticks their nose in other people's business setting up people. Ah. Like a Yenta. A Yenta. Like wow. Beverly Goldberg. If you've ever seen the Goldbergs on ABC. All right, fine. Whatever. She's a Yenta. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Wow, it's my, hilarious. Pretty much my whole life I've been saying Yentl. And it's Barbara Streisand's name. I didn't know that. In the, well, in the movie. It's in the her, movie, which yeah. I've never seen, but I've I just I've never seen it that. either. I'm just guessing, actually. So you've been calling people... Um, I just called... Women who dress up as men. <laughs> yes. And you think you're making them like... Hey, Don't that's- be such a Yentl. What? What? <laughs> Most people don't know it. So tell us about your journey. I know that you were the guitar player for Nicole Nordeman before you became full-time songwriter, producer, extraordinaire. Wow. You remember that. Um, Only because you told me several times. Yeah. <laughs> you remember when I used to play for her? Um, yeah. Moved to Nashville from Philly. Philly. Yes, where my wife's from. We were there about five years, and I worked in... Uh, the offices of Johnson and Johnson as a temp in cubicles making spreadsheets. And um, I ended up writing a song randomly. Like, we can edit this, but what, what, uh, we're not editing anything. <laughs> how, how much do you want? All as much it. as you can give us. Okay. So, like, all right. I just what? don't want the people want to be entertained. Oh, jeez. Give the people what they want. Yeah. All right. Well, so, okay. In the state of Pennsylvania, you can this this is going somewhere. I'm going to give you the whole shebang. Okay, we'll definitely edit this. Go okay. ahead. Okay, we're going to edit the part where you explain that you're just explaining. Okay, <laughs> All right. okay. So I grew up in Maine playing guitar on a dirt road in a small bedroom in a mobile home in the woods, a gravel road, mind you. We'll all kind of cross check back to all this stuff, but um. And then I met my wife, who's from Philly. She went to school in New Hampshire. Anyway, long story, I ended up moving to Pennsylvania to pursue her. We got married. But two weeks before the wedding, I got in a car accident. And in the state of Pennsylvania, the other party, if it's not their fault, can sue you within two years. And we're getting about to the two-year mark, just about, and Christmas is coming, we're in a really crazy financial situation strapped and uh sitting talking about you know how we're gonna do christmas and my parents are coming down from maine and we're sitting there we're gonna knock on the door it was a police officer with a a a lawsuit a police officer delivered a lawsuit yes which is weird it's weird yes but it was for a ton of money that we didn't have and we were already in the middle of a discussion that was not fun and well, I don't understand that discussion. The discussion was just finances. We were, oh, oh, I see what you're not, saying. You know, just you were broke. talking about being broke. We were talking were about broke. being broke and Christmas and parents coming, and then knock, knock, here's a lawsuit for like six thousand dollars or whatever. 
And it was like right before the two year mark. We thought we because we were sweating this whole time. Like, okay, I don't think it's going to happen. And they waited for Christmas. What wonderful people! Yeah. So my wife got a little upset, and she went to the room, and I'm sitting on the couch. And on the coffee table is a pad of paper and a pen. And I'm just sitting there mad at God, just like, what? Really? Is this it? This is how it's going to go? And I was hearing a radio playing. I heard a song as clear as day in my head, words, melody, everything. And it was, it was shocking. I'm like, is this a song I just heard before on the radio? And I'm just, you know, recalling it. But I started writing it down, and um, I had a little Optimus voice recorder, and I recorded the melody and a couple of the things I was hearing, and that was that. Went to bed. So I'm working as a temp. I didn't go to college, so in the also in the in the pharmaceutical industry, at least you can't get in full time unless you have a college degree. So I'm a temp for like five years, bouncing around jobs in a cubicle, but most of the time making spreadsheets and just office management. And one of the jobs I had, my boss was a bass guitar player. The guy that he played in the band with, Dan Thomas, was doing a EP in New York. And I had never been in like a real studio and they needed a guitar player. And he's like, well, I just hired a guitar player. Let's let's check him out. I got the gig. We did the songs. And you know I don't sing that well. And, and there's all these... Earl Morrill, son bitch. Yeah, thanks to Earl Morrill. If you want to hear about that, we can talk about that later. But um, <laughs> anyway, we stay tight, me and this guy, Dan Thomas. Uh, whenever he'd come through Philly to play like the Kyber or something, he'd stop just to catch up. And this time he came through and I had finished the demo on this song called For All You've Done. And he, he listened to the whole thing and he cried. And I, you know, it was awkward, you know, and I'm, I'm choked up too because I know is this the first song you've ever written? No. There's another song. I can, it was one of the first ones? Though? It was one of the first ones, okay. but uh, I kind of feel like it was written through me or something, but it's never happened again like that. So he's hit by it pretty hard, and he goes on and he does his gig. And then later he calls me. He's like, okay, this could be a long shot. But at the time, he was engaged to this girl from Sweden, and her brother, which would be his future brother-in-law, was best friends in high school with a guy named Eric Nordhoff. And Eric Nordhoff was in the international department at Word Entertainment. He's like, man, this is a long shot, and he's not a gatekeeper decision maker, but someone needs to hear this song in that world. And I've arranged to have this future brother-in-law listen to it and then send it to Eric Nordhoff in Nashville. And so he's like, oh, so get together like some kind of bio and portfolio and i'm like oh my gosh so i went out and bought an inkjet printer like a really nice one took like probably one of the world's first selfies and <laughs> <laughs> with a goodwill huge collared shirt and frosted tips and a little soul patch i've seen this picture i think yeah i'm sure you have i think i posted it yeah. somewhere in the pile of pictures yeah that was the one and then i printed it out uh, on this inkjet printer put together this little packet with a CD and mailed it. Like a press pack, right? Yeah. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, and yeah. here I am from a dirt road in Maine. I don't know anything about the music industry. My whole thought of like, someday I'm going to make it. I'm going to go to a concert and they're going to pull me up and I'm going to play guitar. And they're going to say, you're really good. 
and you're going to be a star. I like, cause that's the mentality you don't know. What's crazy is that you may be one of the best guitar players that I know. Oh, like, keep going. Seriously, who's <laughs> now that you say keep going, I don't want to, but <laughs> yes. like, but seriously, Nathan and I were here before the podcast started. And I, I took a like, lesson from you oh, before we started. He was telling how us do you how do to that? speed pick, and we're yeah. like, what? I can't, I gave up. I was like, I, I'm Nathan's still practicing right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. You, so you are. You sent the press pack. Sent the press pack. Eric gets it. And now I'm in a cubicle at Johnson & Johnson, and I get a call on my phone. From Eric? or From, from-, from Eric Nordhoff. And he's like, hey, man, what are you doing? Uh, I'm sitting in a cubicle at, at Johnson & Johnson. <laughs> what, what? Hey, hey, well, I just heard the song. I love it. Would you mind if I bring it down the hall to Cindy Wilt? Um, who's yep. no who's longer Cindy, with us. Who's Cindy Wilt? Who was Cindy Cindy Wilt? was the VP of publishing at Word Entertainment. Okay. All right. Uh, so then he's like, okay, cool. Um, hold tight. About 40 minutes later, she calls me. And she's asked the same question, what are you doing? I'm in a cubicle You're in, like, in I'm Philadelphia. In a cubicle. Yeah, I'm in a cubicle. I can't talk very loud. Uh, can we make this quick? <laughs> yeah. And so um, she's like, how soon can you get to Nashville? And it was like 12 hours, I guess, of a 13-hour drive. I'm like, well, I guess I could take some time off next week and uh, and come. So like after 9-11, I'm sure that flying wasn't the first choice for a lot of people. Well, yeah. And it wasn't for us, too, because they couldn't afford to fly. Financially. Yeah. yeah that so, lawsuit you were dealing with. Yeah. So, so, so she, she calls me, when can you get to Nashville? Right. I... I drive the next week, and and mind you, at this time I think I want to be an artist, which requires singing. Moral, some bitch. That's our little buzz. <laughs> we need that on a button. So I go and I get prepared, and she set up a showcase at Rocket Town, and I'm I'm there, and they're like grinding coffee in the back, and I'm like my mouth is like, hey, I'm so nervous, just dry. It just sucked. I just I got through it. Let's just say that. Right. And so Cindy, being Cindy, so honest, and I I crave honesty, except for from you, Kevin. And um, I appreciate that. <laughs> she took me in her office. She's like, look, the music industry's changing. You definitely have a long way to go if this is the road you want. But let me tell you about the road you want. The way things are, you're going to have to be on the road so much. You just had a child. I love your family. I'd hate to see you have that as something that stresses y'all out and maybe could even affect things negatively. So she said, I've set up some co-writes and uh, just want to see if you like that. And remember, I don't know anything about anything. Co-writing. You were like, that sounds great. What's a co-write? Yeah. So she sets up some really cool writes. Matthew West, uh, Jason Ingram, like some big Christian writers. Yeah, those are. And here I am, like just a doofus. And so we wrote some songs. And then towards the end of it, she's like, okay, when you get home, what I want you to do is write me four songs a week and just send them to me. I'm like, okay. So I did. And up to like, there was one song before this, up to that point, everything was just instrumental, like neoclassical heavy metal or jazz fusion instrumentals and uh, guitar based stuff. And so the lyric thing was uh, interesting. 
So I did it and she was super honest with me and she wouldn't just say this sucks. She would tell me why it sucked and points and like, here's what you do there. She was one of the best publishers ever for that reason to actually tell me why and to give me critiques. She took and, the time and, and taught you how to write songs, basically. She really for did. commercial songs. And then also threw me in with guys way up the ladder that right. I could see what they were doing and kind of, you know, learn. Yeah. Over time, the songs got to the point. She's like, "Okay, they're there. You, this, you, you get it." And how long of a period was this? Roughly, uh, maybe a couple months. And I just—that's all I did when I was. I actually worked two full-time jobs. I worked at J and J and taught guitar lessons at night. I was writing too, so I wasn't sleeping much. But I wanted this, and I because I just I didn't even know it was an option. Yeah. And, you know, at also because I, I couldn't get in permanent at J&J because I didn't have a college degree, you know, our health insurance was so expensive, all this stuff. And it just would have been way better if I got in permanent, you know, I'd have benefits and all that. So, you know, you're a new dad, your husband, you're eventually wanting to buy a house, the whole thing. That was my mentality. You you graduate, you go to work, you do all this stuff. And uh, I think a lot of people are like that. Yeah. Uh, and and. A lot of people, the only element that might be missing is is the passion for something bigger. Mm. They just get married, have a kid, go to work, come home, live for the weekends. Yeah. Like, In a small town, it's hard to see anything bigger. Right, because you don't, you're just not exposed to anything bigger exactly. outside of the television, really. Yeah, right? so, yeah. yeah. Uh, so what happened once you, once you got the publishing deal, did you move to Nashville right away? Probably about six months after. So this is this is crazy. Mind you, I'm trying to get in permanent so I could get these benefits for my family and have a little more uh, income. I'm in my final temp job at J&J making spreadsheets and the boss really liked me. And what happens when the temp job becomes permanent, uh, who's ever in that temp position has to train the person that gets the job. Right. Uh, you know, uh, it, in my case, it was always that because I didn't have a college degree and couldn't get the job. So I'm training all these people to do the job I've been doing for like a year or six months or whatever. So the time comes, they've determined this is a position we need in our department. So it's going permanent and we're going to hire somebody. So he calls me in and lets me know that into the office. I'm like, okay. He's like, I know you've been through this so much. He didn't offer it to you though? Well, Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm ahead of the game. Yeah. Well, you're intuitive. And so uh, I go back to the cubicle. I'm bummed. And then about 15 minutes later, he's like, Lagerberg, come here. He's like, I was just kidding. The job's yours. All of a sudden I'm looking at like 30 bucks an hour in health insurance. And I'm just thinking, Oh, my word, especially since how I grew up, you know, poor and and my dad worked on cars. It was like, wow, I'm really going to be able to take care of my family. Then the next morning I get a call from uh, Sherry Saba, who is the president of Word. She's like, OK, how much would it take for you to quit one of your full time jobs? And I told her. And at the time, even today, it, it was a number that for the Christian music world wasn't. Uh, feasible feasible she's like oh okay and i'm like why she's like oh we're just we're, we're talking about something then she calls back with two pieces of news she's like okay we can do it I'm like what she's like and point of grace wants to cut your song the song called for all you've done and i have no what does that mean 
they're going to record it and and Put all it on this their album. Yeah. I'm like, "Oh my word. Okay, wow." So, I get this information. I'm like, I got to go tell my boss that I can't take the job. And when you're in that world, you have to be a company man. You cannot let them know you have any other desires but to work for them and climb the ladder and all that stuff. So I go in. They know nothing. They don't know I play guitar. Well, I thought your boss played bass. No, this is a new guy. So I was bouncing around temp jobs. Oh, so this okay. is a, this it is all within Johnson and Johnson. All world? within J and J. Yeah. Okay. And so I go in, and I'm like, I don't know how to tell you this. I don't really know what it all means yet, but. I just got offered a publishing deal uh, to write songs in Nashville. And his jaw hits the floor. He's like, what? Because he pulled a lot of strings to get me that job because mm. I didn't have a was he degree. Pissed? He was pissed. He was at first. But then it slowly turned into like, what? This is kind of amazing. So then he puts his arm around me and prays me around the cubicles. You're never going to believe this. This guy... Did anybody know he wrote songs or played instruments or anything? No. And da-da-da-da-da. So then, uh, yeah, I just go back and forth to Nashville like once a month, and then we moved. Prior to this, I got a $30 check from my brother for my birthday and a card. It was like a random number and so thankful for it. I'm thinking gas to work, whatever. But at the same time, we also got a flyer from the John Lennon songwriting contest, which I don't know how he did it. Maybe it was because they, I think they were partnered with Guitar Center and I was part of the mailing list, whatever. Now, before For All You've Done, I wrote another song, my first song with lyrics. And it was called Sow, like sowing and reaping, thinking I wanted to be a Christian artist. And this was my attempt at a song with lyrics. And at the time, much like you, Kevin, I couldn't stand to hear my voice... <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't stand hey, to hear my voice. It's okay. I still can't stand to hear your voice. No. Yeah. He's going to change it all in the... Just your singing voice. <laughs> we could do that later. And I, I couldn't stand hearing myself on an answering machine or whatever. I was like, ah, oh, I couldn't stand my guitar playing. I couldn't stand anything I was doing musically because after a while you get to this point where you're like, oh, I know my tricks. I know what I'm going to do. I'm so predictable. So I thought I just got this Roland XP50 synthesizer with all these crazy sounds in it. And I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go the polar opposite of all my instincts. Whatever I want to play, I'm going to do the polar opposite. Whatever sound I want to use, polar opposite. Whatever I want to write down, polar opposite. Melody, everything. And this song came out of it. And it ended up being like my wife's favorite song. And it's bad, but it was musically good, I guess. And so... She's like, with that $30 check, you're entering this contest because the contest was $30. I'm like, no way. I need it for gas and all this stuff. She's like, nope, you're doing it. Entered the song into the John Lennon songwriting contest. And it, it, there's 12 categories, gospel, rock, blah, blah, blah. Right. And it ended up winning the category for gospel, which was like $5,000 in rolling gear and... Uh, this single song contract, if I wanted it. And I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. So was then, there a check, though, too? Not yet. Okay. So then... I'm so intuitive. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you are. So then, uh, celebrity panel, Elton John, Kenny Loggins, like a bunch of artists take what the grant. What year was this? 
celebrity panel, Elton John, Kenny Loggins. Just a, whoever was Footloose would... just out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm 60. Um, I'm 50. And uh, so they, they take the 12 grand pi- prize winners for each category, and they pick the the grand prize winner for the whole thing, which is a $20,000 check from Maxell Tapes, if you remember them. Yeah. And uh, the chance to play your song at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wow. And I ended up winning. Whoa. What? <laughs> so you got $20,000. Uh, so then being and able to- $5,000 in gear and $20,000 yes. in cash and a publishing deal and you quit your job at J&J. Yes. And Good it was Lord. just like- it's the I don't know I I mean where was this in the timeline of quitting J and J to get a pub deal? This was kind of I would say probably four months before five months before. So now we got a little money and I can take these trips to Nashville, right? And we had a little to put a down payment on it or a house in Nashville. And what about the 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 lawsuit? With the $6,000. That was payments. We just, like, we paid payments for years on that thing. I know we should have probably just paid that off, but... No, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean, like, did you did you fight it? it no, because at that time, we're like, oh, man, to get an Your attorney. insurance company? Your insurance company didn't fight it? No, there was a... Oh, our, our coverage lapsed on just that day oh, because of, that like... Sounds like some people were... That happened to yeah. a friend of mine who's a songwriter down in Virginia. Uh, his car insurance lapsed for one day, and then that one day he had an accident, and his car got totaled. And well, they told us that they formulated that after the fact because moving from Maine, um, when I had to transfer everything over to Pennsylvania, they claimed something happened. And but it was just this one unfortunate day that your coverage lapsed, so we're not going to cover anything. And I'm like, oh, okay. So there's a lot of just kicks while you're down but that just makes you tougher and so was it norm mcdonald said what doesn't kill you makes you weaker (laughs) (laughs) it hurts what doesn't kill you really hurts though wow so you moved to nashville eventually yes publishing deal at word publishing deal at word and then you somehow ended up as a guitar player for nicole nordeman yes that was the other thing so we there's God all over this man. And that's one thing I'm discovering now at this point in my life. Like he rarely speaks to me in the windshield. It's all rear view, like just right. looking back. And hmm. so we needed like a specific amount of money on top of what we were making to just cover what we needed to live. And I ended up having to play, uh, Cindy had asked me to play guitar, Cindy Wilt, for this artist at a christian conference thing and like okay yeah and sing bgvs i can sing bgvs yeah um of course you can but there's just some high notes that are moral ruined or moral son bitch yes so i play the showcase nicole norderman is in the audience and her road manager so i'm backstage put my guitar away and her road manager was like six foot nine and it's very dark back there, and I feel a tap on my shoulder, and I look back, and I see shins, and then I look up. <laughs> How tall are you, Clint? On a tall day, five six. How about not on a tall day? Five five and three quarter. So Clint's five two. No, just kidding. <laughs> you son of a bitch. That's so. There's a guy six nine behind yeah. you. You're and he's like, away. hey, I work with Nicole Nordeman, and she needs a guitar player to go on tour. She just released a record called Brave. Just meet with her and sit down and 
My wife loves so, that record. Oh, it's so good. And so I did. We hit it off, ended up getting the gig. And what I was being paid was the exact amount hmm. we needed to cover everything. Good and grief. I did that for three years, my entire time at Word. Uh, Word. Did you write with her at all? Um, yeah, we got some cuts together, and she's just amazing, amazing writer. So I guess fast forward a little bit. We I'm getting to the end of my deal at Word, and we have a gig, Nicole and I, in Dallas. And when we flew out to the gig, we connected in St. Louis. So we go do the gig. We're flying back. I get sick, so sick that I actually threw up on the plane. Never thrown up on a plane before. And let me tell you, those little bags fill up quick. <laughs> They're not big enough, uh, airline people. And uh, so God. I know. It's a TMI moment. It's the first time on a podcast that's ever. The people want it. So <laughs> give the people what they want bigger <laughs> barf bags. <laughs> you listening, American Airlines? Is that the platform you run on if you're running for president? Yeah, I promise bigger barf bags, bigger barf bags, larger bags of nuts. Um, jeez, <laughs> you said bags of nuts <laughs> that escalated quickly. <laughs> so, uh, oh god, we're so I'm sick, and I gotta tell you, the stewardess was so kind and this is pre-covid yeah long yeah and no, and it wouldn't be kind <laughs> maybe like get off the plane <laughs> yeah. yeah this is a bag full of covid right here so um i'm now feeling terrible sitting there just i got my earbuds in i'm listening to music and we land in st louis and i'm thinking okay didn't have to get off the plane this first time, I'm going to just sit here and my earbuds are in. I'm just kind of chilling. They go through, do the head count. Well, I didn't hear that connecting flights had to deplane to go to Nashville. And they miscounted in their head count. So You went to the wrong place. Yeah. Oh, my God. So check this out. <laughs> About an hour and a half, two hours into the flight, which, you know, what is it, 45-minute flight? Probably, yeah. Uh, I just asked the stewards, I'm like, uh, are we going to be landing in Nashville anytime soon? Cause I had a meeting with word to discuss. They didn't want to lose me and they were going to pull out all the stops to keep me on. Cause my deal was up and I kind of, I didn't want to do that anymore. Uh, I, I just kind of want to move on. Cause I, I'm like at that time, all Where these did you things, end up Montana. Oh, good God. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. You guys want it? There's no flight back. Yes. You are. Listen I'm to you. telling you, I've been to, I've been to those flyover states. They're not called flyover states for no <laughs> for reason. Nothing, yeah. Oh, man. So when I asked the stewardess, we're going to be landing in Nashville anytime soon, she freaks out. She's like, this flight's going to Montana. Runs to the front and back, makes calls, da, 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 da. And at this time, you can't communicate with anybody you know, this to let them know. Phone? No, this cell phone, but like you couldn't, you there know, wasn't Wi-Fi there's the nothing to yeah. get, you know, to inform anybody what was happening. So I had to wait till I got to Montana to call them and tell them I was in Montana on accident. I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I threw up. It's not my fault. But, um, 
So you, you, uh, yeah. you're in Montana. Yeah. And you tell word that you're not going to be able to make it. And they're like, hope you like hell. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, like hell. <laughs> so, uh, they were on the record. We love the people at word music. Yeah. On, they, just on the record. Yeah. This is all just in jest. We're just kidding around. Yeah, totally. They were always great to me. So they, the airline, I can't remember. It might've been American. I'm not sure, but they're accommodating. They're like, okay, there are no direct flights back. Even if there were, you wouldn't get back for your meeting. So this is the best we can do. So what we did is I flew from Montana to Sacramento, Sacramento <laughs> to Phoenix. Oh my God. I, mind you, I left at 7 a.m. that morning, threw up. I'm now in Montana to Sacramento to Phoenix to Dallas to St. Louis, <laughs> then Nashville. I got home at like one in the morning. Whoa. Right? So check this out. So then. The meeting is moved like two days after I get home. BJ Hill, who was at Warner, uh, is still at Warner, um, had set me up with a right with Nicole uh, Galleon because I was getting some traction in the non-Christian world. I had a couple flats holds and a right. clay can cut. And so I was like, I wanted a flats cut so bad. And it just, it seemed like they're not going to take me serious you know, if I'm not fully country songwriter guy. And that was part of my reason to want to kind of move on and get into a, a country. A lot of that is actually in your head. I mean, it, oh, yeah, it, it is. It, now you know probably it's more oh, yeah. about the song than where you're totally where the song comes from or anything. Totally. Like and so uh, Nicole and I uh, get together to write at Warner and we write this song. We do a quick little voice memo recording of it. And I tell her the whole story of. I'm wanting to move on, but they're really going to make it hard for me to say uh, no. And after that right, I was going to walk over to the word building from Warner and go to this meeting. And she's like, wow, I, 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 this is a tricky situation. Whatever you do, don't say yes, because I, I have an idea. She sends the song to Rodney, her husband, Rodney Clausen, big songwriter. And... um gives him my number. I am barely to word. And he had listened to the song. He's like, Hey man, don't say yes to anything. I got you a meeting at extreme writers group slash big loud shirt with uh, Michael Martin and Jason Hauser. So I'm like, okay. So then I have the meeting. I have to dodge saying yes and, and get through all that at word. Next day I have the meeting with extreme and it went great. And I loved everybody there. It was awesome. And I ended up signing there. And so Michael Martin had said, hey, man, flats are looking and we have one shot to get a song on the bus uh, tomorrow night. What do you got? I'm like, OK, I, I want this so bad. What can I do? Go back to spreadsheets from J&J. &J. And this is a this still helps me to this day. I went and I'm like, OK, I got to figure this out. I, I opened up a spreadsheet. And I pulled in all of Rascal Flatt's album titles into each column up to that point and left a blank column at the end. And what I realized is all these songs got a yes. And not that I'm trying to recreate these songs, but these are songs that got a yes. So there's got to be something that'll kind of fall out of me in the spirit of all this stuff. 
So I would read across the top line of titles, and when I came to the blank cell, I'd type whatever came to my mind if it was, I love turkey sandwiches with stuffing. And I'd write it just to get the ball rolling. And then I'd read the other line and the other lines and then type whatever. And then I'd start jumping around. And eventually they get better. They start turning into titles. And when they were good enough, I would bold them and put them in another column. And the first one that was good enough was Here Comes Goodbye. And then I'm like, oh, all of a sudden I start making a virtual album for them of titles. And and oh, but that particular one stuck out. I'm like, okay. So later that night after everybody went to bed. Did you know what it meant? uh, I just liked the title. I was like, cool. Uh, There's the finish line. Let's run the race. So I went um, later that night and wrote the verse and part of the course. It was very similar to what it ended up being. But the next morning, I had a co-write with Chris Sly, who was on American Idol. And um, we had a a hit together in the Christian world and he was coming over. I thought we were going to write another Christian song. It's like, dude, I, let's write a country song. He's like, I love country. I've always loved country. I'm like, well, I got this one started and I played it for him and he played this thing on piano that what we hear now with that song. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And so, and we finished it. So then... Did he sing the demo? No. So Sean McConnell sang the demo. So oh. then that night, Sean McConnell called and said, hey, super desperate can I come over and do two quick glorified work tape demos at your place? My studio's out of order right now. And, you know, Warner will pay him like, oh, dude, you know how we work. Don't, I don't need that. Just come on over. And we did the demos for him. And he's like, man, I feel like I need to do something for you. I'm like, well, I, uh, I do have this knot in my butt that I need rubbed out. <laughs> After that, oh. just kidding, Sean. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Sean, does not sing on demos for anybody. Like, yeah, but I'm no. like, this song, I need to have it done for the morning, and I can't sing this high thanks to Earl Moral Song, bitch. Would you sing on it? He's like, Yes, let me hear it. I play it for him, play it three times. He goes in the booth. He's like, get me in the booth right now. I had the lyric printed out. One take all the way to the bridge, and I punched him in the bridge out. No auto-tune. So it's just a piano vocal. And then next morning I turned it in and Michael was like, and it was the first song I turned in to Extreme uh, as as well as another one called uh, One Life to Love, which ended up being, uh, I think, number two in Christian. But they got it on the bus. A lot of drama, a lot of on hold, off hold, blah, blah, blah. And then it got cut. So do you, have, do you have one that you worked that hard on that, did not get cut or something that you think that like, see the, the whole, this whole podcast is more than talking about our successes. We almost want to talk about our failures. Yeah. See, that's the exception. That's not the rule. Not at all. What you just said is basically the dream, but it's not the reality. So no. what, is there something you'd like this song has been through the ringer and like, I don't, I don't <laughs> know if it's ever going to get heard, but I would love for it to get heard. This, it deserves to have a life beyond my iTunes library. Yes. Uh, song's called Sombrero. Oh. And it does. It's a little mix of cut and not cut. See, I know that song because, like, we talked about cutting it on our artist, Jake Rose. Yes. But we didn't because Brad Paisley was going to cut it. Yes. But Brad did not end up using yeah. it. Yeah. Little, if, if, so that was a crazy story. I was writing at Seagale at the time, and Brad Paisley 
was it's one of the co-owner. Yeah. And I was supposed to produce it on Brad. Yeah. So going through the process of all that and he's wanting some tweaks, he's like, is this guitar part too close to La Bamba? Could we maybe reverse it or twist it or something? And I'm like, okay, I'm doing all these edits and whatever. He's like, and I really, I really want uh, Tim McGraw feature to feature well how can you do that like that's, yeah that's so he's him. yeah so he's trying to work that out it's taking a while brad's got a clock ticking yeah. in his schedule tim's got his thing so in this whole process i went on a quick vacation to maine where i'm from and i get a call from john pierce who's one of the writers on the song and chris dubois the other writer right and um John and I had started the song. Uh, he came in with a title. He's like, no one wants to write this with me. Can we write this? I'm like, I think I know what to do. And we wrote the chorus and then went fishing. And as we were fishing, like, hey, we got to bring in Dubois because he's like, you know, he's obviously a lyrical genius. And uh, we just want these verses to be next level. And because the chorus was so sing-songy and silly. I wouldn't call it silly. I'd say it's fun. Fun. Yeah. yeah. Good word. Yeah. Yeah. Silly's the wrong word. Yeah. So John is just about to sign a publishing deal and his publisher said, hey, play me something that you're loving right now. And he was hesitant because he knew this was, I was working on this with Brad and uh, it was Missy Gallimore. Okay. And so he plays it for her. She's like... I need this for Tim bad. Oh, and, and did, so did you tell them that like Brad's trying to get, Tim no, to John, sing? John knew that too. And he's like, you know, this is, this is in Brad's camp right now. Clint's going to produce it on him. And, and, uh, in fact, he's wanting Tim to feature on it. Well, you know, Tim ends up wanting it for himself. For himself. Tim ends up cutting it. Uh, Brad was like, oh, all right, well, let, I want to play guitar on it. At least, you know, let right. me let me feature on guitar or whatever. So Tim cuts it, has Dirk Bentley feature on it, and they're trying to get Brad. They're like, we're willing to do anything. Brad's on tour. He's, I don't know where he is, but they, they're like, we will fly someone there with a rig with whatever we need to get a solo. And wherever you are. Is this you producing it or Byron Gallimore? Oh, Byron did that. Byron okay. did the Tim production and they couldn't get a hold of brad and tim is already behind schedule right so then why didn't they just bring in another guitar player i know like well clint lagerberg in the in the process dirks's camp wanted it as a single for dirks just dirks just dirks featuring tim so then wow that's complicated there's relief. drama and with the schedules and everything and then the different labels going we want it we want it it ended up dying. So Dirks did not do it. Dirks didn't do it, and Tim didn't do it, and, and Brad, Brad didn't do it. Well, uh, but but is, is there any possibility of any of them coming back to it? Or you have? Don't I've so? talked to Missy, and she's like, I just don't think it's the time right now. And that was like a couple years ago. So I could always keep poking and see, but well, maybe there's another artist that yeah will hear the song on the podcast is you hear hey. the demo and say well, why don't we play sombrero then yeah. on the podcast let's, let's do, do it, it. saturday night we're sitting outside 
at the place by the mall with the chili pepper lights, drinking lukewarm brews, a way to name Bruce. Choking down bad American Mexican food, dude. This sucks. Right now, I'd give a hundred bucks for some real tamales covered in queso. Don't your daddy got a no and a bagel? Chesney not cut that. I don't know if Kenny's heard it. It's so undeniable to me. It like, is. I it's, mean, it's a it's a CMA Awards opening. I mean, it's definitely like a, it's an event. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Then, yeah, I mean, you could see that they were thinking that way with having features and it all that. It could even be like Kenny Chesney and the Brothers Osborne together. Oh, yeah. I mean? Great like, guitar yeah. players. And, yeah. And, and well, also, like, TJ's got that deep voice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. They don't cut a lot of outside, but, like, as a feature on a that song, cool. you know, with Kenny Man. Chesney, who let's, knows? Let's find know? them. Let's, let's 
Get it to him. Dang. But this is the whole purpose of this podcast, right? Is I mean, did, we knew this song already. Yeah. We, yeah. Didn't, we didn't know that this was going to be the one that you picked, but just hearing it again after a couple of years, you're just like, God, what? it's still relevant. It's I still great. Yeah. I like, haven't heard it in a couple of years either. This is the first time. That was even in mono in my headphones and it still sounded like a hit. Is it mono? No, it's just in my head. <laughs> I think that, I mean, Dang, I mean, that's insane. That's so good. So Aww, ridiculous. One of the things about this podcast is I'm so glad to hear your story. And it's very inspiring and very faith building. Mm. And for anybody who is hearing that and they're on the, you know, a knock at the door from the cop side of the journey it's to know that there to, is a hope. plan. Yeah. There's hope. And it, yeah. it is a journey. It's not a, where you are right now is not your destination. Yeah. Amen. Unless you just sit down and quit. Mm-hmm. That's your destination. Yeah. That's, but if you right. don't sit down and quit, you're just on your journey. Yeah. And what fun is your behind the music documentary if it was all easy? <laughs> right? That's right. right. Well, so, the key for me, the key for me in this, and, and, and look, I'm not trying to cut you off, but yeah. I'm going to say about the same thing that you're saying, like, the only people who are actually good at this, who don't make it, are the ones who get day jobs or quit or like yeah. have life pressures that get in the way of actually making music. Yeah. I can't imagine you working at Johnson & Johnson, writing songs and playing guitar, coming up with lyrics and melodies the way that you do. It would be a waste well, to well, be we doing that. We wouldn't have Sombrero. Well, we wouldn't have Here Comes Goodbye. What Blue was your, Angel we, Color? We wouldn't have Blue Angel Color. We wouldn't have any number of Nicole Nordman songs, um, Point of Grace songs, or yeah. And it, it's easy to be fearful because that's a, a lot of what we deal with every day. Is not it's not easy. It's not always easy. It's not always great. So you get into this uh, automatic mode where you're fearful and you're just going to do the safe things. And that's, you know, you said it earlier though, too, about like having a passion and something driving you. That's kind of the difference too of like, yeah. if I didn't have that, I actually would have been totally fine working in a cubicle and taking care right. of my just family. Not, not, not even knowing the difference that there's more out there. And, and, and that's not a slight on anyone who doesn't have that specific passion. Totally. Look, the world, it takes all kinds of kinds as somebody once said. Right. Mm-hmm. But for us here, I feel like it's just, incredible the amount of talent that was just sitting around untapped mm. you know and oh, yeah. songs like that just sitting around untapped it's mm. well, well I, you know what else this does uh, working at a cubicle is great for for people who love it and, and yeah. this is no diss but what you're doing is showing your kids that anything is possible sure like because your story is inspiring to the point where like you really could have just never done this. Mm. And the fact that you stuck with it and the fact that you were actually talented and it only took one yes, right? Mm. Like what was that thing we were talking about in oh, yeah. the Kylie Sackley podcast was yeah. like in a room of 99 no's, all you need is one yes, Yeah, right? So yeah, yeah. So just for the listeners, can we condense the Earl Morrill story so people know no. finally? Not yeah. just the listeners. How about this guy? <laughs> yeah. Who has two thumbs and has no idea what you're talking Nathan, about? Nathan's the only one that doesn't know. <laughs> Actually, we're the only ones who do know. Clint and I, we've written a lot of songs together, and he doesn't really want to sing the demos, and I didn't understand why, and then he told me the story of Earl Morrill. Yeah. Some right. bitch. Yeah, so we're, we're in like ninth grade history class, and Earl Morrill was an ox. His actually his nickname was Ox. And he could bench press <laughs> four hundred pounds in the ninth grade. He was a monster. Oh my goodness. Just a monster. And he liked me. We were buddies and I'm in my desk. I'm kneeling on the chair and the desk 
is connected to the chair, those old timey, I don't right, know what yeah, they yeah. look you like have now. You sort of slide into the side of the chair to yeah. sit at your desk. So I'm kneeling on the chair and my thighs are on the uh, desk edge and I'm talking to the kid in front of me and Earl, Moral, some bitch, comes down <laughs> the aisle like, you know, hitting desks as he's just an ox. He comes by me. And he slaps me on the back. Hey, Lagerberg, smack. And because of the way I was kneeling in the chair and the desk and, the, and everything, it just pushed me forward. And it happened so quick, I went forward and smacked my throat on the top of the uh, chair in front of me. And I couldn't talk for like a week. And growing up, we never went to the doctor unless we were dying. So my, you know... So that you was think that. he like crushed your larynx or something? Something is in there every time you heard it. Like yeah. something's in there when I get to a certain spot. It's, it's just, just It's like Chewbacca getting stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> and then. And then when he told me the story, he's like, I can't sing. Because I'm like, moral, son bitch. Yeah. And that's where it all started. I mean, I figured out some things that kind of work around it, but yeah. We've pissed wow. your voice down before. Yeah. yeah what was that for? Um, oh. Even the grass is getting high. Yeah. Yeah, which was almost yep. Snoop Dogg Trace Atkins duet. Ooh. Yeah, that was that would have been a good one. That would have been cool. Well, dude, this was so fun. It's great to have you on here. Thank you for I having. Mean, we had an almost with Brad drinking problem, and Megan was supposed to be on. Megan Trainer had agreed to do a duet. That's right. And Brad could not wrap his hand around. You were supposed it. to produce it. I was going to produce it. It would have been. I, there's so many stories like that. In our job. And I think I have gotten to the point where I now get sad and disappointed when I hear good news because I know that it's not going to work out. <laughs> we have, when's that rug like, going to get... Yeah, it's <laughs> like when someone's like, they're going to cut that song. I go, oh, this is oh, no, terrible. Yeah, yeah. I already, I'm already yeah. like mad about it. Yeah, you prepared your heart. You're like... This and then is... when it does work out, I'm like, oh, wow. We really would, yeah. thought it was going to happen. Like it was, it was me and you and Dubois, right? <sighs> yeah. And we really thought it was going to happen. And Megan was on board to do oh, it. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah, that was that was an ouchie. A lot of those. <laughs> you, you find out. Ouchie. You find out, you find out real quick it is a no town. Like, and it's yeah. it's constant rejection and got to be a little crazy to keep doing it, but we do it. Yeah. yeah. We are all a little bit crazy. Well, I appreciate you being here. And I don't think you're crazy for doing this because I think you're super talented. And I always learn something when I'm working with you. So you've never said that before and you're going to make me cry. Well, Do you I mean never it? said it before. No, no, I don't I mean, know. Like, he's going to gonna tell you me after I didn't mean that. It's just for that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean that. Um, no, I did. Of course I did. Like it's. Well, thanks, man. It's always great to work with people who you think are more talented than you. Because it, it makes you better. Well, I don't know who you're talking about, but... Well, look, I'm not saying you're more talented than me. <laughs> I'm saying I think you're more talented than uh, me. Well, It doesn't wow. mean it's real. Hey, I think it's like you're only as good as... The, the song's going to be as good as the room is. And so, like, I always want to be in rooms with people that can write circles around me because I want to learn more and more. Level. Yeah. Yeah. So this is awesome. Thanks guys. Cheers. I appreciate it. Thanks bud. You got Clint it. Clint Lagerberg. Thanks for being here. Hey guys, thanks for listening and be sure to follow us on Instagram at the uncut gems podcast. We can't forget to thank CAA, our production coordinator, Jason Campbell and all the songwriters for sharing their story. And remember the only people who don't make it are the ones who quit. So keep writing and we'll see you next time on the uncut gems podcast.